Welcome to Heart, Soul, and Mind, the podcast from Centenary United Methodist Church. I'm Dr. Glenn Kinkin, Senior Minister here at Centenary. My hope is that this podcast will give you some good news for your journey today. A reading from the Gospel according to Matthew, chapter 25, verses 31 through 46. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father. Take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in, or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, Truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes, and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison, and you did not look after me. They also will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry, or thirsty, or a stranger, or needing clothes, or sick, or in prison, and did not help you? He will reply, Truly I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? Almighty and gracious God, we gather once again at the beginning of the week to hear your word read and proclaimed. And as we do, as we listen, speak so deeply to our hearts that we would hear so clearly who you would have us be so that we would leave this place not just as hearers of your word, but as doers of your word. In your son's holy name we pray, amen. Every once in a while when the TV news seems to be so heavy and I've just about had enough of it that I swear that I'm going to turn the news off and never listen to it again and go through life in some level of blissful ignorance, one of those wonderful human, good human stories pops up and it gives me hope. You know, it's a story where maybe you see strangers that have watched their favorite fast food worker for months or weeks and then they learn that he is or she is walking 
three miles to work one way, so they pool their resources and they buy them a car. Or maybe it's a story about the police officer who walks the beat in New York City and kind of knows the residents of the neighborhood and recognizes a chronically homeless person who in the dead of winter has inappropriate shoes and buys them sturdy boots and warm socks. Or maybe it's the high school student who decides that one of his classmates can't afford lunch. Matter of fact, the lunch balance is in the red and there's no hope of paying it off. And so very anonymously, he pays the debt off and then puts money in the account so his classmate can eat without shame. Or maybe it's the church in an affluent community that looks around and realizes that housing is just not affordable for public servants and they band together to build a habitat house for one of their own peace officers because they think it's important that those that serve them live in their community in simple, decent housing. See, people choosing to go about life, not just living or making a living, but going about life to make a difference. Their story gives hope to you, to me, to our world. Jesus is talking to anyone that will listen to him and telling the story there in Matthew 25. And he's encouraging them to think about how they live and how they act. He talks about, blessed are you when you saw me naked or hungry or lonely and thirsty. And so the people ask him three times and say, Lord, when did we see you like this? And finally he gets to the point, he says, each time you did this to the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you did this unto me. See, he's telling them that, look, that all of the world is a part of our family. And so when you reach out and you care for my brothers and sisters, because you are my brothers and sisters, you're caring for your own. For all of humanity, we are all a part of God's family. So what he's really encouraging them to do is to think about how we live and how we act upon our faith. How we do that is a sign of our understanding of God's calling upon our lives and what God wants for us. We begin to realize that part of our living into our faith is understanding that God is calling you and me to have the heart and mind of Christ. Calling us to have compassion for the people of the world. Calling us to have the desire to fill their needs and to lift them up. See, these actions show the world that the people of Centenary United Methodist Church aren't just hearers of the word, but that we are doers of God's word. That we are going about life not to make a living, but to make a difference. We think about this, when we are called to realize that we don't have the heart and mind of Christ. The idea of the heart of Christ is that part, the desires that God has for the world, the emotion that God has for the world, the hopes, the dreams, and the love that God has for all of creation. But the mind of Christ is also the part where we think, we reason, we use our intelligence and our intellect to make a difference. So we talk about this idea of the heart and mind of Christ. What we're really talking about is surrendering our very lives to God and to God's purposes. To where we live lives of grace and love and charity. 
In Ephesians 2, Paul writes to the early church and he says that we are saved by faith and by faith alone, that it's not our works that save us. We can't earn our way into heaven. But what he's really talking about is that our actions bear testament to our faith. They show how we have had an engaged heart and an engaged mind to change the world. See, Christ understood that being fully divine and fully human, Christ understood everything that God wanted for all of creation, but he understood us. Christ built relationships with you and me and our brokenness and our flawed and our joys, our concerns, understands the human struggle, but it's in those relationships that he began to show the world the idea of what the heart and mind of Christ is like. Rose came home from school one day and she told her folks, she said, I figured out what I want to do for my 13th birthday. And her parents were finally excited because they've been trying to figure out how to celebrate the fact that their daughter was now a teenager. So their ears perked up and they said, well, what is it, Rose? And she says, I want to go to Carowinds. I want to take a couple of kids from school. Now, if you know anything about Carowinds, I mean, that's one of those wonderful amusement parks where you basically pay three prices to go. I mean, there's the price of parking. I mean, that's an arm and a leg almost. There's the admission that is definitely the arm and the leg. And then there are all the concessions. I mean, anywhere that they can sell you a $5 hot dog, I'm telling you. So they were excited, but they thought, you know what? This is her 13th birthday. We'll go hog wild. We'll do it. So they said, Rose, who do you want to invite? And they started naming her friends. They named her two best friends. She goes, no, not them. They were a little concerned. They named two other of her friends. No, not them. They said, well, then, Rose, who is it you want to take? I want to take Becky and Susan. Like, who are Becky and Susan? She goes, Mom, Becky and Susan are in my math class. And, you know, she said, we've kind of gotten to know each other. And I figured out that they don't have a whole lot in their lives. And this may be the only chance they can go to Carowinds, and I want to give them that gift. Now, her parents were stunned. I mean, she wouldn't take her two best friends, wouldn't take her second-tier friends, two kids that they've never heard of, and their daughter wants to take them to the amusement park to give them the gift of a day riding and being carefree as only teenage girls can be. See, at some level, Rose had the heart and mind of Christ to lift up people that may not have the same as we because they're part of our family. See, I dream that as we grow in our faith, as we grow in our discipleship, that we too act like Rose with sort of the heart and mind of Christ as we approach the world and everyone around us. But while we're doing that, that we also realize that if we're called to have the heart and mind of Christ, that we are called to have compassion for the people of the world. You know, one of the greatest things, if you read the Gospels and you read and you try to understand Jesus, he had the uncanny ability to notice everything in the room. Everything that happened in a large crowd, Jesus noticed it. I mean, think about it, when he was walking down the street and the crowd was pressed in upon him in that story where the woman that was ill, she just reached out to touch the hem of his robe and he says, whoa, 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 stop. And the whole entourage comes to a stop. The crowd pauses. He goes, someone touched my robe. And they're like, Jesus, 
there's a hundred people crowding around you. Of course someone touched your robe. You've been jostled the whole way down the street. He goes, no, no, no. Someone touched my robe. And he singled her out and he found the woman in need and her faith healed her, he said. But he noticed her. Or remember he noticed Zacchaeus way up in the tree where no one seemed ever to see Zacchaeus. He walked along the road. He saw the woman at the well. The lepers. The blind men. See, Jesus noticed everyone, the least, the last, and the lost of our world. But in, even in noticing them, he noticed everyone else around them as well. And so no matter how we were defined, slave or Greek, Jew or free, we were all lifted up, equally enamored with who we are, loved as children of God. So he had great compassion for the marginalized for people that seem to always struggle at the edges of society. This idea of compassion being concerned for suffering and misfortune of others. And see, I think that's part of our calling as disciples. See, when Jesus mentions the naked and the hungry, the lonely and the sick, the imprisoned and the poor, he's reminding us that we have to go out into the road and that we have to be like Jesus and have compassion for them and to open our eyes and to see them. To realize that the plight of others is part of our calling. Harriet Noyes lives in Aspen, Colorado. She owns a large amount of acreage. It's really a trailer park, if you want to be honest. It's right in the heart of Aspen. And Aspen is this great ski town with great skiing, but it's a place where really the locals can't afford to live any longer. What was once cheap housing goes up for sale. It gets bought by someone mowed down in a large condos that are too expensive for the locals to live in or built in their place. So what happens, you've got this trailer park right in the heart of town where it's been in her family for 50 years. Harriet's owned it the rent somewhere between $350 and $400 a month. And over the last 50 years, it's only been raised twice. The people that live there work in the restaurants. They work for the town government. They work in all of the infrastructure that keeps Aspen what it is. See, if it weren't for a place like that trailer park, people would have to live 20 and 30 miles outside of town in order to afford to live near where they worked. So Harriet thinks of her trailer park as her extended family, her people. She knows their stories. She's concerned about their plight and their, all of their history. And so as she turned 80, she realized it was kind of time to make a difference. It was time to make a change to sell out, to get out of the trailer park business. Now on again, off again over the years, developers have offered her $30, $36 million for her plot of land. And she knows what will happen if she sells to them. They will buy it, and over time, they will let the leases expire, and soon the trailer park will be no more, replaced by million-dollar homes that the locals can't afford to buy. So instead, she did something different, something a little bit radical. Sure, she still made money on it, but she sold her trailer park to the county for their affordable housing program. She still made plenty of money to live on, but she left at least $30 million on the table because she cared about those people. She had compassion for their plight and knew that the county would pick up the idea of affordable housing so they could stay. 
See, I dream that we are the kind of church that begins to open our eyes and we look around the margins of our community and our county and we begin to look at the issues that are facing us, whether it's education or affordable housing or food insecurity or upward mobility or poverty, but not only see the issues, but then to understand what is going on underneath the issues, why they exist and what we could do to make a difference. That we could have the compassion to use our skills our intellect, our resources, our networks, our ability to make a difference so that all people are lifted up and those issues become issues no more. See, we're called to fulfill the needs of the community alongside our compassion. See, what we read in this passage is that it's a passage about action. I mean, Jesus just didn't say, so, you know, there's poor, there's hungry, y'all figure out what to do with them. He said, blessed are you that feed them, that clothe them, that visit them, that heal them, that care for them. See, if we have the heart and mind of Christ, if we have passion for the, or compassion for the people of the world, how could we not act? How could we not act instead of just sitting here sort of like pew potatoes? Aren't we called to go forth and to be not just hearers of the word? but doers of the word. See, we're already doing some of that. Just last week, we had a large team of folks that went to Ocracoke to help the island devastated by the hurricane to provide recovery and disaster response so that those people could be back in their homes, back to making a living before the summer comes. We have a family in our community that we're providing a house for through Habitat for Humanity our ministry with the homeless through Love Thy Neighbor, Samaritan Ministries, and City with Dwellings. We're already involved as a congregation. Next Saturday will be one of these opportunities where we see that at multiple levels. While we're raising the walls on the Habitat Home, our youth are having a fundraiser so they can fund the Love Thy Neighbor ministry. This afternoon out here on Four and a Half Street, the Blood Mobile will be here so that we can give the gift of life for those that are suffering in the hospital. Our missions committee focuses our financial resources on some of those issues I named like education or poverty or hunger or the island of Haiti or the high needs population around us. But they wanna do more than just focus our financial resources. They wanna capitalize on our human resources, our human capital, that's you and me. Each of us have been given a gift given an ability, given a certain set of strengths and skills, what would it look like if we brought those skills to bear alongside our financial resources with our ministry partners? What would it look like so that we weren't just writing a check to make a difference, but we were putting blood, sweat, and tears, our blood, sweat, and tears into making a difference? See, when we go a mile deep, on a narrow-focused issue, we can make that difference. So I dream that we're the kind of church, the kind of church that says we're going to roll up our sleeves, we're going to seek that one place where we're all involved. We look at the gifts that God has given us, the skill sets, and we say, I can do this. And wouldn't it be a great dream if the 3,000 members of Centenary, if someone said, wait, you go to Centenary, what is it that you do there? And we said, I do this. We talked about some hands-on ministry where we were engaged in fulfilling the needs of our community. Because when we do that, 
the world gets an image of the kingdom that Christ is talking about. So as I said at the beginning, we have a calling. Our calling is to have the heart and mind of Christ, is to have compassion for all of God's people, and it is to fulfill the world's needs. And I have a dream that we rise each day, that we rise each day from our home and that we let the world know that the people of Centenary United Methodist Church, that we go out into the world not to make a living only, but that we go out in the world to make a difference to make a difference because God calls us to do that because the world needs that. But we go out in the world to make a difference because the gospel demands it. And that is how we live into who we are and whose we are. So as we go forth from this place, let us not just be hearers of the word, but doers of the word. Because when we serve our brothers and sisters, we serve Christ's family. Amen and amen. Thank you for listening to Heart, Soul, and Mind, the podcast from Centenary United Methodist Church. We hope that you'll consider joining us for worship on Wednesday evenings at 7 o'clock or Sunday mornings at 8.30, 9, or 11. Have a blessed day.